It is Stitch Diggers. It is still season eight. It is episode I don't know what because it's October and NaNoWriMo's around the corner and I had a book just launched and what do you want from me? But I have Veronica Roth with me on Ditch Diggers today and that's exciting. Ditch Diggers appear and ain't no wannabes here with some not so nice advice for your writing career to be clear. No punches will be pulled but the punch may be spiked how they like before they get on the mic. To my left we got the mighty Mer Lafferty and if I piss her off believe me she'll come after me. And her co-host Matt Evan Wallace on the right. Yes she may be half as hype as she can take him in a fight. So settle in folks buckle in and boot up. Time to meddle in a way to make your writer shut up. It's hard work but the perk is that it's fun and exciting. Facebook will still be there when you're done writing. Ditch Diggers! Coming to you live from the half-unpacked basement of the Ditch Diggers Manor. It is the Ditch Diggers with Mer Lafferty and guest star Veronica Roth. Hi, Veronica. Hi. I'm so glad to have you here. Uh, we've had some tech issues, and um, yeah, I, it, and we finally made it on. And we're streaming live on Twitch, and nothing is going to go wrong. Show 23, Nothing. thank you, faithful assistant Tim. Awesome. Yes. Oh, well, it's 23, number of chaos. That makes sense. Okay. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. We're here to talk about business. I want to talk about genre. I want to talk about uh, Poster Girl, which came out last week. I want to talk about Chosen Ones, because uh, it blew my mind a little bit. And... Um, You've got upcoming novellas with uh, Tor, Tor.com or Tor? I think it's under Tor. Okay. Which is odd. But uh, yes. I yeah, think I thought Tor.com was the novella one, so. Yeah, so did I. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Either one, Tor or something. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, um, yeah, to get started, we talk about what we're working on now um, as detailed as you want to be. I am, um, I have edits back for book two of the Midsolar Murders series. It is, um, I still don't know whether I can say the title yet. I need to check with my editor, <laughs> but, uh, it does have a title now and I've got edits on that to work on and I'm going to be working on a novella for NaNoWriMo and I right. had a, uh, figured out that, that, uh, title this morning, which was very exciting. And that's going to be um, The Assassin and the Matchmaker. Or The Matchmaker and the Assassin. I can't decide which should come first, but that is my NaNoWriMo project. Oh, thank you, Badly She Wrote, for the uh, Patreon pledge. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm working on and, you know, promoting the book and recovering from October. It's been a very busy month. Uh, Veronica, do you want to tell us anything you're working on? Well, right now I'm on tour for Poster Girl, so I don't really write while on book tour because I can't focus on more than one thing at once. Oh, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> uh, th well, yeah. that's the writing you're doing because it's part of the job. It's the business part. Yes, but and... I do have a draft of my next novella because it's like a three novella mm -hmm. deal whatever. So that one's in with the editor. So I, I turned that in before book tour. Great. Excellent. Yeah. Congratulations. That must've been a good weight off your shoulders because turning stuff in, having stuff over your head when you're traveling is not fun. 
uh, yeah, yeah. And I, I know myself at this point. I knew it wasn't going to happen if it did, if I didn't send it before that. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're all relieved <laughs> that, that happened. Oh, good. Um. Well, first, I want to ask a little bit about um your your genre pivot because uh, if you any I can't imagine who wouldn't know this, but Veronica is the uh, author of the hit series, the Divergent series, and um all the books and novellas and short stories following that in that world. And then um, you had another series, like a two book series, Card yeah. of the Mark. Right. And then, but then you came out with your first adult book uh, called Chosen Ones, which I know it's not new, but I want to talk about it. I might have to spoil it though, because it did that thing in the end that, kind of blew my mind. I won't, I'll try not to spoil it too much, but we do talk about spoilers sometimes on this show, just because we like to talk to authors about how that comes about. But this is not a spoilers episode, so I'll just let you tell the plot of Chosen Ones real quick, and then I'll tell you where I'm coming from. Yeah, so Chosen Ones is about, um, there's a group of people who save the world as teenagers from like a kind of dark lord figure called the dark one it's very creative naming um, <laughs> on purpose. Uh, so it's a little tongue-in-cheek but um it's 10 years later and they're all adults now but they're famous uh famous for the worst thing that ever happened to them basically so um the main character is sloan and she is just like wants everybody to leave her alone basically um but then I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say they get sucked into an alternate universe. <laughs> so um, then they have to kind of face that universe's dark one as adults. And it's very different this time. Right. So that is Chosen Ones. Yeah. And um, so there, there's a thing about some books, and I won't give away how it happens. But uh, I think the first time this happened to me was Cat's Cradle when I read it as a teenager and I'm thinking they've got this devastating thing called ice nine. Well, I mean, if they, if the ice nine happens, then that's going to, that's going to destroy everything. So of course ice nine is not going to be, I was, I was innocent as a teen. Come on, give me, cut me some slack. But when the ice nine actually happened, I, it blew my mind. I'm like, how this literally changes the world. It, it alters everything. And then I read the girl with all the gifts by Mike Carey. And the same thing happens where the end you're thinking they're going to get free. I'm going to spoil that one. They're going to get free of the zombies. They're going to find a cure for the zombieism or whatever. And at the end, it's basically the humans accepting the new normal and accepting this is how the world is. And these children are the future without Whitney Houston. And, um, <laughs> It, it did the same thing to me. And then the chosen ones or chosen ones, you do an alter an altering of reality at the end that I didn't see coming. And I was just, well, good. <laughs> I thought that was awesome. And how do you decide to make such a big change? And does that make the sequel more difficult? Well, we could talk about the sequel in a bit because okay. then the pandemic happened. So Chosen Ones came out the first week of lockdown. It was a terrible time to have a book I remember, come out. I remember listening to it on my walks during lockdown. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's good. I mean, it was a great audiobook. It was. <laughs> so, it was. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, so the pandemic, then the pandemic just like totally exploded everything in my brain. I just was like, I don't know if I can write the sequel anymore, like Ooh. ever, but um, so <laughs> we'll see. I mean, Chosen Ones ends pretty definitively. So it's yeah. not like it's going to leave you unsatisfied if it doesn't have a sequel, but I did have one planned, but it was just like, I don't know if this happened to you, but I just was like, I'm just not interested in the same things anymore. I can't do the same things I was doing before. Like everything's different now. So yeah. Yeah, um, I anyway, so that's the chosen one sequel. <laughs> but yeah, I was um, trying to write a book and a novella, and um, the I, I got a really good price for the novella until I had to rewrite it from scratch twice, and so it was then it turned out to be not such a good price for sixty thousand. What was a good price for twenty thousand words? Yeah, um, and that was my that's like a whole novel at that point, exactly. <laughs> Um, I kind of, I lost a lot of self-confidence because I was sending drafts of both the novel and the novella back and forth and back and forth. So it was, uh, didn't have a lot of confidence and was really scared before this one came out, but people seem to like it. So I'm happy about that. Um, so chosen ones aside, I just wanted to say that, that, that the, the ending in the reality shifting thing, I don't know what it is. Cause I know other books have done it, but some, some reason Cat's Cradle, um, the girl with all the gifts and chosen one really just the, the, the big change at the end really just blew my mind. And I was just in awe of what was going on. And, uh, so well done. And thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you liked it. I uh, I have another book to recommend to you. I don't want to recommend it here because it'll be a big spoiler. But <laughs> if you like this sort of thing, okay, I'll tell you later. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um. So, but w w another thing with Chosen One once was you. Um, it was your first adult book, and after the yep. huge success of uh, the Divergent series, what uh, what made you want to take that? change from YA to adult? Well, it was really, um, it was not, not a business decision so much as just a purely creative one. And of course, like the situation that Divergent left me in career wise gives me a lot of freedom mm -hmm. to kind of make those kinds of choices. But, um, I noticed with Carve the Mark, which was the follow-up to Divergent, that the characters are starting to feel older, like not, um, in terms of their you know, maturity or, or whatever, but just, well, yeah, a little bit, but their concerns were older. Mm -hmm. And I was like, uh-oh, uh, <laughs> like this is, this creates, you know, because for me, writing YA is like a thematic thing. So um, it's like having questions about adolescence or mm -hmm. about growing up or coming of age. Like that's what makes a, a book YA more than the age of the characters. Um, if they're reflecting backward on their youth, like that's, that's more of an adult uh, an adult book. But anyway, so I noticed that was happening and then I just stopped having YA ideas. So I tried to come up with them and it just wasn't working. Like they just didn't feel like they actually fit into the market or mm -hmm. that they were actually speaking to the same audience as Divergent. And I was like, okay, well, I guess that's just where we're at right now. So maybe if I start getting them again, like I do still love, I love teenagers like when they come to events now i'm so happy to talk to them especially about diversion like i really get so much joy from engaging with them and i'm sad that i'm not writing stuff that feels like it's for them anymore but um we'll see maybe in the future it'll come back but right now i have questions about the world and about life and 
um, they're just more more adult themed questions. Yeah, which always sounds like you're writing porn, but no, you don't no, know. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I do, especially since yeah. we're going back and forth from YA. It's just interesting from a reader standpoint. If you are only a reader listening to this, um, you know, you pick up a book about teenagers and you read a teenage adventure, or you pick up a book about adults and you read an adult adventure. What's the difference? But on the business side, it's huge. YA is very different world than adult publishing. Um, and it's, so I, it it had to be, has it been a culture shock of moving from, uh, teen fans to, or at least teen stories, because I know you've got a lot of adult fans because you got me. So (laughs) there's one. Um, but has that changed and how have you felt about it? Well, it's been a bit odd because, because of the pandemic, like originally, like normally if I was moving into a new world, a new space, I would go to conferences and festivals, even just like as an attendee to like meet people, you know? Um, but that didn't really happen. So I don't, it's like now I don't know my peers that well, um, in the adult space and I'm still getting to know like how, how it feels to kind of be a part of it. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, it's been kind of weird just because of, because of the nature of the world that we're in now. Um, but on the business end of things, it hasn't been that weird, I guess. I still approach things the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a great editor, uh, John Joseph Adams, mm-hmm. who kind of eased my eased my way into this space. So that was very helpful. But yeah, yeah then my publisher got bought by HarperCollins. It was like a whole, <laughs> like a whole thing. Yeah, yeah, I heard about that. Wild. So do you, um, since we do talk about business, and but we will only go as far into that as you want, um, how... How has that changed anything for you or the, the futures, the future of your book deal? Um, well, it, it's, it was interesting for me, particularly because Divergent and Carve the Mark are published by HarperCollins. And then the chosen ones was uh, Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, which was then purchased by HarperCollins. So it was very much like, oh, okay, we're back here again. <laughs> so I, you know, I knew all the policies, all the mm-hmm. same stuff. It was like, okay, but, um, as far as my deal goes, it's complete with poster girl. So we'll see what happens. Um, but I mean, it was, it was fine. It was familiar. Uh, but then, yeah, I don't know. Something's changed with the, like, I don't know. There were layoffs and stuff. So yeah. that, that's changed, but yeah. So are you still working with JJA or has he moved on? No, he's moved on. Okay. So uh, he did edit poster girl cause he finished out his mm-hmm. stuff with me, which was great. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, he's on to other things. Yeah, definitely one of the best editors around um, yeah. in the past, like, 20 years. Um, God, he's so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's talk about Poster Girls. So since I, I just dragged you into Chosen One, sorry about that. but uh, No, it's okay. I'm Poster so Girl. happy to talk about it. <laughs> Poster Girl came out last week. Um, tell us about it. Poster Girl is like post, post, post dystopian, sort of. Um, so uh, it's basically like um, there was a regime. It was called the delegation. It was authoritarian. Um, it enacted mass surveillance on all its citizens. And then there was an uprising and it fell. And when it fell, all the people who were favored by it were locked away in this section of Seattle, futuristic Seattle called the Aperture. And Sonia Contour, who's my main character, is one of those people. She was on the delegations propaganda posters when she was a teenager and now she's you know 
grown up um, and living in this like prison environment. And one day an enemy comes to her with a deal, which is that if she can find a missing girl, someone who was taken from her family by the delegation and rehomed and no one can find her, um, then Sonia can have her freedom. But this gets dark and hairy very quickly. So it turns from kind of more mystery to a little bit of a thriller. Um, and yeah, that, uh, I think that's all I can say about it without spoiling stuff. Right. But, so mm-hmm. what, what really interest, interested me about this in addition to chosen ones is you've done two stories based on time well after what people would normally expect to read about, which I think mm-hmm. is, is, is fascinating. Cause I love the whole, where are they now kind of stories? How have they take, how has the life changed after the dark Lord was defeated or the, the government has fallen or whatever. And, um, but is, is this an idea that just appeals to you or it, was it, do you think it was coincidence? Cause I'm like, Oh wow, this the same kind of concept. I love it. Well, yeah, it, I think it's on, it's very much on purpose because I think that's where the idea for poster girl came from originally was the same line of thinking that led to chosen ones. It was just like, I have questions, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have questions about what happens after. Like, I want to know what happened to Paul Atreides like five seconds after he killed Fade, you know, yeah. at the end of Dune. Like, because, you know, there's Dune Messiah. But I'm just saying, like, I have mm-hmm. questions about what happens in the aftermath of stuff. And so I think um, that's where both of these books have come from for me. I don't think it's where all of my adult work will come from. But... Um, I do think of them as kind of like a spiritual pair in my mind, chosen mm-hmm. ones of poster girl. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, it's, it feels more cerebral, even though you can turn it into, you can easily turn a story like that into an adventure or a thriller or something, but it, it does feel like, uh, one thing I loved about Sloan was just, I, she had her fame and fortune or she had her fame and, and then it's just like, I don't, want anything anymore and you can't that's one of the things you just can't turn off um yeah and you know especially people who are end up famous for reasons that they don't choose it's got to be even harder so um yeah i ended up reading one of the i mean i I ended up researching and watching a ted talk for monica Lewinsky Mm. uh at some point while writing for revising chosen ones I, not that, I, I don't know. It just, uh, it was interesting to hear her perspective on how it felt and it felt relevant, you know, getting famous for something that you actually hate. That was actually terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I, <laughs> she's very, very strong person. I, from what I I've read about her these days, I just like, I admire that. Cause yeah. Yeah. That, that's me too. She's very resilient. Yeah. Um, so in the chat, if you guys have any questions uh, for me and Veronica, not me, Veronica, come on, who am I kidding? But <laughs> it's, uh, um, please let us know because uh, it's it's live and exciting. Uh, and if you want to hit <laughs> our exciting live episodes, uh, Ditch Diggers is usually noon on Mondays on twitch.tv slash Mighty Mer. We will have... Um, uh, and whenever Cameron Hurley is guest host, that's a 4.30, but we try to let you guys know in well advance. But um, 
What are you reading these days, Veronica? Um, I'm reading, I'm reading sci-fi and fantasy as I usually do, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. What am I reading right now? I just finished The Women Could Fly by Megan Giddings, which is like an alternate America with witchcraft. Oh, cool. Um, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. I definitely recommend it, especially the audiobook. It was good. Awesome. But yeah. Uh, um, I have questions about book tours. Because yeah. uh, while I have I have published before, I've never I have not reached I have not leveled up to book tour status, and um, it's a weird thing because that feels like something every beginning or mid list writer wants, and yet every author I talk to who goes on book tour is like, oh god, I'm going on book tour, and. Uh, <laughs> It's a weird, weird thing because it's got status, but it doesn't sound like a lot of fun. It sounds kind of scary during a pandemic. So what is your take on uh, the the both sides of the book tour concept? I think I'm I'm somewhere in between. So um, I had a tour planned for Chosen Ones and had to cancel it, of course. Um, yeah. Which, you know, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but for your own I sake, I'm I, glad. <laughs> Yes, I know. I know. Especially in that time, we just didn't know anything about, about COVID, um, mm -hmm. at, in that moment. So, uh, and like not being able, I haven't, so I am in a very fortunate position and I've always had a book tour. Um, so I've never had a book come out that I haven't gone on a tour for and not being able to with chosen ones made me feel so helpless suddenly. Cause it was mm -hmm. like, I couldn't, um, I couldn't do anything for the book. You know, it was like out of my hands, which is how, you know, most authors feel all the time when their books yeah. come out, but I just hadn't experienced it before. So I think this one I feel really grateful for in a new way because I'm like, okay, at least I can go out there and pretend I'm doing something, <laughs> even if it's not effective, like I am doing it. Um, but I don't know. I don't know about like people, the way people attend book events has changed because of the pandemic. They're just not as like excited to get out there anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit like the mood has changed. Um, and it is t like, it's grueling. It's rough. It's a different airport every day, a different hotel every day, um, a different event every day. And that's just like, you know, you eat lunch at like three in the afternoon because you fly over the lunchtime period mm -hmm. and you don't eat dinner until 10 PM. So it just like my food, everything's messed up. I haven't slept well in like a, a week. So it is, it is tough. You know, it's not like glamorous or exciting. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, it is good to be out there like meeting booksellers and meeting readers again. Mm -hmm. It's like, nice so i don't think i'll ever whine about it in the same way that i did before because <laughs> you because you had that moment where you couldn't go um yeah yeah also i mean i do try not to whine about it because like like you said it is like a prestige thing and mm -hmm. if your publisher sends you out you you should know that it's like you should be grateful for it i mean i'm not saying you gotta like send them thank you notes or whatever that's part of their job but right. um no 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 it is, i get like, it <clears throat> yeah um in the chat is The Kids Are Asleep, a.k.a. Valerie Valdez trilogy right here, y'all. Check it out. Um, I'll be giving that away. I'm doing giveaways in November, and one of the giveaways will be the uh, Valerie Valdez trilogy. Not uh, signed, because I don't live near Valerie, but still giving that away. Valerie asks, what's the film adaptation process like? Ooh, yeah. Okay, well... It's been a while, so I, I don't remember 
all of it. Also, it's again, like, ev- like everything I say here is like, it's changed. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when Divergent was made, uh, basically we sold the rights before the book even came out because it was a very special time in YA adaptation land. Um, <laughs> Talk about they were looking when for, the iron's hot. Yeah, they were looking for the next big thing. And that's like how they approached Divergent. But then, uh, then like Summit, who's the one that bought Divergent, merged with Lionsgate, who had Hunger Games. So I was like, well, now it's not going to happen because yeah. these are both dystopian properties for for young adults. <laughs> like, There's no way. Um, and then they did make both, which was very strange. I was like, okay, I guess. Um, but how, how the process worked. Yeah. I mean, I have a film rights manager who kind of shops my work around Hollywood to find someone who's interested. Um, and sometimes they are, and sometimes they're not. And they will kind of, it's like, there's a thousand different ways to get something made. You can try and get producers on board. You can try and get talent on board. You can try and get a screenwriter on board. You can try and Mm -hmm. get a studio on board. Um, Divergent was studio first. So then it was like the studio and production team together to try and find the talent. But basically you're trying to like grab as many bits of a movie as you can and put them together as quickly as possible. (laughs) That's like the, the idea. But it's hard to say like, how does this work? Because it's like, well, it works like a thousand different ways. It's so, it's very complicated and weird. And now it's even weirder because of streaming. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's true. The streaming thing. Mm-hmm. I've got, uh, I, I've, I have a contract where it talks about movie versus TV network versus TV streaming. And it's just bizarre. Um, Raven's Creations wants to know: Do you have any do you have any writing rituals to get in the mood before pen to paper or fingers to keys? I assume. Yeah, no, not pen to paper. Oh boy, <laughs> um, I'm not like a ritual person, really. I uh, I don't even write at the same time every day. So I mostly like I'll try to sit down in the morning after I've caffeinated, and uh, if it is coming easily that day, I'm like sweet. <laughs> we're going to spend all day here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Give me my water. Um, and then if it's really not working, then I'll try again later in the afternoon. And some days are just cr- a crap shoot. You know, it's like, no, yeah, I'm not doing this. Um, but a lot of times if I get started in the morning, like I'll have a pretty productive day, but I'm actually awake at night. I am a night person. Ah. So I don't know. I'm, but the world is like, no, you can't be a night person. So. Do you write better yeah. at night? I do, yeah. But that's like when people want to, you know, see you. Yeah. Socially. <laughs> or, um, and my spouse, my husband is uh, an early riser and he wakes me up. So I have to go to bed at a reasonable hour or uh, I just don't sleep. And I'm a light sleeper. So I'm just saying the practicalities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. Daniel wants to know what are the biggest differences behind the scenes between publishing YA and adult? Hmm. Behind the scenes. Um, that's a good question. I don't know if I know how to answer it because it wasn't that different. Can I ask something Um, more specific? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you have anything that you wanted to put into the Divergent series that the publisher said was too adult and you realized you needed to save it for an adult book or did they just go with with all you had? 
Um, it's a weird thing to say, given how actually violent those books are. <laughs> but I did tone down the specificity of the violence a little bit um, for Divergent. But that wasn't a concern with any subsequent books. Divergent actually skews a little lower in age category. Um, so it's like a lower YA in terms of it, what re the readership that it found. So like most of the readers who encounter it are like 11 or 12, which is um, a little like people read up. So that's not mm -hmm. uncommon for YA. But I just think it's worth noting um, because the I just like it has affected the way that the series is received and the way that it's promoted. So like when I do school events for that series, I do middle schools, not high schools. Um, oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Usually. I mean, I'll do high school sometimes, but it's just, it doesn't work out as well. Like, uh, it's just, you know, sometimes you choose the category and sometimes the category chooses you. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to pay attention to that. But then carve the mark was a little older. That's kind of what I mean when I say I was creeping upward. Mm -hmm. Like that started with the end of the divergent series and it just kept going. And I was like, all right, well, let's, accept this as a reality of what my writing is doing well your career um, was just growing up yeah, yeah yeah i think so um if you could t <laughs> if you could tell a younger you uh something about the business side the industry um now what would you tell yourself uh don't be on twitter crazy <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not on Twitter anymore, but I was for a long time. And uh -huh. it just made me so, <laughs> made me so miserable and anxious. Like I just, no, nah, yeah. <laughs> not worth it. I mean, for some people it is like if it's, but for me, it just got so intense so fast and Twitter doesn't have the same filtering that, well, now it's better, but when mm -hmm. I got on it, it you couldn't filter yeah. anything basically. Yeah. So no, no and Instagram muting. Yeah. And on Instagram, you could always just kind of like, you can delete the comp, like you can actually just, you know, scour the stuff that's awful, uh, from your own site, which is nice. Mm -hmm. But on Twitter, that was not the case. So, um, I'm sure it would be a little better now, but, but yeah, that's, that's kind of it. <laughs> I think the big one, there's a yeah. couple other things like, but most of them, I mostly, I think, um, like I never responded to reviews. I think that that's a big one that people need to know. Oh yeah. Um, I very fortunately just knew that already from my writing program in college, you weren't supposed to respond to in workshop, you had to be quiet. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of transferred that. Um, that's important. Not reading reviews, like really don't. Yeah. Cause oh, they yeah. find you, you know, so it's not like you don't know what people think about the book, but you don't need to seek them out. That's just like, it, it just takes up space yeah. in your mind. It, so. it, it, it also, it, for me, it wastes time because I'm going to be brought down by whatever I read. And yeah. it's even so the good like, ones. That's time wasted. <laughs> Sorry, even, even the good ones. Even yeah, even the good ones. Kind of like sometimes the things people like about your work are are like not what you intended, and mm -hmm. so even good reviews can kind of be deflating sometimes, which is a hard thing to explain. No, no, I get it. If you want, if you were going for, I mean, I I wrote this was just like a hundred word story, just a hundred words, and. I read a review, not just somebody mentioning on Twitter how much they loved it because the ending was so uplifting. And I'm like, the ending was supposed to doom everyone. <laughs> how did I get that so wrong? Yeah, and you're like, uh-oh. So, yeah. <laughs> she, she loved the story. I was happy about that, but did, no, 
I either failed to convey or she failed to realize. But yeah, no, I understand completely the 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 if you get unhappy about good stuff. Um, yeah, reviews by when my publicist tells me about reviews, I'm like, oh great, good. I'm glad this publication liked it. Cool mm-hmm. and. My th- my current publisher does not tell me about the bad reviews, which is nice. My previous publisher, my first review on my last book was uh, negative from Kirkus, and uh, oh, Kirkus, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I thought, like, oh god, this is this is the death knell of my career. It's going to be terrible. And then every review after that was glowing and starred, and the book did really well. And I'm just like. Why'd you guys tell me about the Kirkus review? You really scared the hell out of me. Um, no, also without situating you, because Kirkus, Kirkus is there's a club of us, yeah. you know, where like the Kirkus hates me. Kirkus has liked me recently, which is like a shock to us all. But um, yeah, in the early days of my career, they did not. And the more authors I talk to, the more they're like, "Oh yeah," <laughs> which is reassuring. It's really helpful to know that. But you know, they're they're kind of they're um hard to please sometimes, which is fine. But yeah. Yeah. I have a friend. I can't remember if she said this publicly, so I won't say who, but uh, has said that Kirkus is like riding the tiger. It's like sometimes you'll be riding it, but you know, at some point you're going to fall off and bad things are going to happen. And so she's told me, she's <laughs> like, she's riding it now. They like her stuff, but she, she knows that at any time things could change. So. Yep. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah. No reviews. Reviews are just, see, the deal is reviews are for the reader. That's what I try yeah. to tell people. It's not for you, the author. So there's absolutely nothing you can do, good or bad, about or in response to a review. Even if they said they got this completely wrong, you're like, well, I got something wrong. Okay. I, I know, can't, can't fix it. Yeah. Can't run out and edit every single book out there. Just in the bookstore, scratching out a certain part and writing. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have a go-to activity, walking, reading, or anything else to brainstorm ideas? Yeah, so I am a big fan of walks, um, with dog or without dog, mm-hmm. the same. But I also am a playlist person. So when I get the first start of an idea for a work, I start building a playlist, even if I don't know like what it's about yet. Um, and then when I need to brainstorm and start outlining and stuff, then I put that playlist on and go for a walk. So that's like my, that's, I suppose, a ritual that has developed recently, but it does seem to work. I also take the same path every day. And mm-hmm. I think the repetition is important because it's like, you're not looking curiously around yourself. You're just like in your head. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Routine can be important. Yeah. Can be. <laughs> I guess. Um, well, right as you were saying that, Tim asked, do you listen to music when writing? Yes, I do. I listen to that same playlist. Okay. So like my Spotify, you know, that how they do like that year end thing where mm-hmm. they tell you what you listen to. Mine is always insane because it's like you listen to this song like 500 times. And it's because yeah. like I was writing, you know, the same book all year. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm a very repetitive listener and my favorite songs are just like, in the hundreds of plays while everything else is much lower. So it's either really high or really low on my, uh, in my iTunes music, whatever I'm calling it now. 
What's the one now for you? I am still listening um, a lot to uh, The Garages, which is the indie band that uh, spawned after baseball became popular in 2020. Um, they make such weird, diverse music that I can always find something to listen to. Sea shanties, country, alternative rock, folk, uh, heavy metal. They, they, they just play around with every genre and it's a lot of fun. So they're, and, and they're one of their songs inspired, uh, Station Eternity and they gave me the rights to the lyrics. So, uh, there are Garage's lyrics in Station Eternity. Um, awesome. so yeah, just a lot of my, my favorite playlist is all Garage's songs. Actually, I am a Sad little fangirl. I got a chance to meet my favorite songwriter from the group at Worldcon, and we hung out for like 30 minutes, and she said she was going to come to the con the next day, and then she got COVID. Oh. So it's but like, you didn't? No, I didn't. I didn't. I was so That's happy cool. about that. But I was bummed that I was like, we had like this little time together, and like, tomorrow we're going to hang out a lot, and then she got sick. So. Oh. But yeah, we just we just hung out outside or briefly inside with masks. So okay, that well, was I, I dodged that bullet, but uh, felt really bad that she got so sick. But yeah, that was my that was my chance to like hang out with with someone I was just very very embarrassing fangirl of, and the pandemic man. Mm -hmm. What about you? What are you listening to, or do you go really vari big variety with your um? with your uh, playlists or do you like to, do. to grab one artist dominating? It kind of depends. So like, uh, when I was writing poster girl, um, those two Taylor Swift albums came out mm. folklore and evermore. And I listened to a lot from those cause they had the, the right mood. It was like sad girl music. Mm -hmm. uh, I heard someone say, um, so, but then on that same playlist was like Bob Dylan and Pink Floyd and Radical Face and, you know, just like a weird assortment of stuff. So, um, it really is like song dependent for me, but right now I don't know how to say her name properly, but there's a t new Tove Lo album and I've been listening to that. So, okay, cool. Yeah. Writing this novella, although now I've turned it in, so I'm yeah. still just listening to, it, to this album. <laughs> Do you, um... Do you make these playlists public? I do. They're on Spotify. My name is just my name, Veronica Roth. Mm -hmm. So if anyone wants to find them, you can find them. Yeah, I totally forgot. My my kid and I were working on a playlist for Station Eternity, and then I forgot about it. I just remembered as you're talking about it, I'm like, oh, that's right. I've got one for this book. Yeah, make it public. Fun. Yes, it, it's largely the garages <laughs> and clipping. Clipping's the other band that's actually quoted in the book, but, um, yeah. Have you had a bad experience with an editor? If yes, what was the major issue and resolution? Whatever you're comfortable divulging to us. Um, it's a good question. I have, um, I won't get too specific, but basically I think there was a moment of panic where they couldn't see a way for me to fix something mm -hmm. at all. So their solution was to redo it. And I was like, okay, but if you could just tell me what the problem is, then like, like maybe I the book or rewrite the chapter. Yeah. Or... Yeah. Rewrite the book. Oh. Um, 
And I was just like, no, <laughs> that will not be happening. Um, so I think, I think it's Neil Gaiman who says like that people's notes are usually right, but their solutions are usually wrong. Mm. Um, and I definitely have found that to be true. So now I request from editors insofar as they are comfortable with it, because, you know, you have to kind of meet in the middle in terms of your style. Mm-hmm. But I say, like, don't feel like you have to give me solutions. Like, please just tell me what the problems are. I know it feels bad to be just like, here are all the things that are wrong with your book. Yeah. But for me, really, really helpful. Because I'm just like, I will find my own plan. And I'll ask for clarification if you need it. But anyway, that was uh, that was a while ago. Um, I have not had I have not had problems since then. I usually find like if I don't like a note or don't agree with it, I just don't take it. And then I explain why. So mm-hmm. I write like a return editorial letter, like here's why I didn't address that thing. Or I try and find like like you said this was wrong, but I think you're actually pointing to this, and I did fix that. So you know, it's like an, a conversation. So. Yeah, yeah. They 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 can't foresee this, so it's not their fault. But it's like. If there's a note about something that's broken in the text, and then later on you refer to the thing they don't like, they're going to put a note every single time, and you're like, oh, yeah. you fix it. And then there's the note about it needing to be fixed. You're like, you're ah! like I, I did that. No, and they can't know about that. And maybe it's a good thing that they tell you that this is referenced many times and here's how it's broken. But it's it's very like, no, no, I fixed it. I promise. I, I did. I, again. I know. That happened to me recently with a copy editor, or it's, God bless her, but she just pointed out that I had way too many eyebrow raises, which is, of course, like, a legitimate complaint. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of eyebrow raises, but I went and fixed all of them, mm-hmm. and then every time I saw another another eyebrow raise, I was like, leave me alone! <laughs> this one is legitimate, leave me alone. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not her fault. <laughs> well, as Meat has just told us, we're almost at the end of our allotted time, um... Thank you, everybody in chat, for adding to the questions. And Veronica, thank you so much for your time and patience and awesome uh, company today. Is there anything you want to tell us about writing or the business of writing that we didn't ask you about? Um, I don't know. Yeah, that's kind of now my mind's going blank, to be honest. Um, People ask me what I'm reading now. I'm like, reading. Do I read? (laughs) Like books. I, I like books. Yeah. 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 Oh, I think um I think it's useful to know that you should take a long view of your career. Every career has hills and valleys in it. Um sometimes the valleys are deep. Yeah. Sometimes the hills are very high and that makes the valleys seem even lower than they already were. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I would know anything about that. No, no, but, no. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, uh sometimes books just like they don't do what you hope they will. And you just have to keep going because eventually I have hope for all of us that they will. Mm-hmm. They will go exactly as we as we hope or better. <laughs> um, but yeah. you can't get too wrapped up in any one of them because like l- life is long, fingers crossed. So yeah, take a long view. That's what I try to tell people who've told me they've been like working on their first book for like 10 years. I'm like, work on the second one. Just yeah keep just go keep moving yeah Yeah. um so where can we find you online i'm gonna put it in the chat but you can put it so the people at home can hear yeah i am at so my website is veronicarothbook.com but i am active on instagram at veronica roth okay and i'm on facebook but not not really so instagram that's where i'm at 
Awesome. What you said about Twitter is how I feel about Facebook. So that's that's my yeah. like no too much depression can't just it's always it's bad. a tough place. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. is. Um, and for me, you can find my stuff at merverse.com. You can subscribe to this podcast with any podcatcher. Just search for Ditch Diggers or search for Mer Lafferty and uh, Station Eternity. And might as well pick them both up. Uh, Poster Girl are available now. Um, and if I had both... one, I would hold it up. Yeah. <laughs> <Put> it out. <laughs> um, yeah. So thank you so much, Veronica. I really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was great. This podcast was produced under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Music provided by Devo Spice. DevoSpice.com. Ditch Diggers! This is a free podcast brought to you by the kindness of our patrons. If you would like to also be kind and a patron, go to patreon.com slash mightymurr.